0: so hello and welcome to this unpleasant postscript yes so uh you're having a busy week aren't you thomas
1: a busy week i have a lot of uh, applications and a lot of i have animation courses and
0: uh, a lot of screenings
1: of unpleasant movies and
0: What's the stuff going on. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. So you've been screening stuff, but you are also um, been reading stuff, right?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: You're part of a sort of a literature discussion group.
1: Yeah, I've been reading um, Flights by oh. Olga Tokarczuk. How do you pronounce that name? <laughs> we have a lot of difficult names yeah. this time around. Uh, she's the Nobel Prize winner together with Peta Hanke. And she also had Man Booker Prize. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that name, but... It's uh, really good. It's really well-written. It's a great translation. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard. You know, in some ways, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Naked Lunch. Not in, you know, its uh, themes or uh, its style, but its structure. It's kind of composed of several... No, no. Well, it's composed of several shorter segments, and there's some characters that come and go a bit. And um, initially, at least grasping what's going on is a bit difficult probably the second time you read it it's easier to uh, put into context yeah but
0: it's sort of scenes from like a village setting isn't it like
1: not quite it's it's all sorts of stuff but there's a lot of stuff about anatomy and you know wax museums and this surgeon who's Doing anatomy and you know these body parts. There's you know a lot of different narratives concerning that sort of stuff, and also travel. There's a, a concept that she's made called travel psychology, which is kind of her own thing, and she kind of use it as a like a reference. The way that Burroughs would use like interzone as a, a reference yeah. of uh, specific things, it means kind of different things. It can be applied different ways. Uh,
0: yeah, though interzone was also a very specific thing. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, it's a mix. That's the thing. Yeah.
0: I never trust surgeons.
1: <laughs> no, not even <laughs> when they want to cut you up?
0: No, they're just like always like in, in, as a literary figure, mm. surgeons are always really shady, yeah. dubious. Uh,
1: have you had any personal experience with surgeons?
0: Yeah, um, I had a. I have this personal nemesis who is a surgeon, though. <laughs> no, I don't. He always wants to cut me up. A <laughs> fiend. Keep seeing him out of the corner of my eye. <laughs> but yeah, no, um, uh, that sounds uh, incredibly fascinating.
1: Yeah, it's really good. It's really well written. Even though it's quite complex, it's quite um, catchy to read. It's not really boring. Oh, Every time I pick it up, I'm kind of thinking, okay, this might get heavy. But it's really, really enjoyable. Mm.
0: Even though it sounds sort of uh, like dense thematically. Yeah, yeah that can be incredibly difficult to pull off Mm. a sort of mix of making difficult subject matter entertaining. Mm. Often it just come across as clumsy and uninteresting.
1: Yeah, or just, you know, dense. You have to work at it to really get much out of it. Right. Which, you know, can be good as well. It's nice when you don't have to. Yeah. What about you? Are you reading anything these days?
0: Well, I am reading, but mostly lately I've just been sort of incredibly caught up in the... uh, the American election cycle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Super Tuesdays. Yeah. I've been just binging political podcasts Mm. and uh, just reading political news and stuff. Uh, What
1: kind of political podcasts do you list?
0: Well, a lot of different ones, but Mm. I, like a lot of them are very partisan. Mm, Yeah. So I tend to prefer seemingly more neutral ones like the NPR political podcasts Mm. and stuff like that. There's one called Election Ride Home, which is quite good for just catching up on election news. And, mm. uh, and then there's more, like, discussion-related, like, uh, political gab fest. And, uh, and then there's um, Chopper Trap House and uh, uh, Worst Year Ever. There's a lot different yeah. stuff. Yeah. Some are more humor-related.
1: Yeah, that's always nice.
0: Yeah, to bring some levity into the whole yeah. bizarre situation.
1: So what's your take? Do you think Biden is... Uh Big enough man to beat Trump.
0: Big bad Biden. <laughs> I don't know. Like, um, I I don't actively dislike Biden, but I think he comes across as quite mumbling and sort of bumbling. Uh, he, he, watching him speak is sort of difficult for me because he does come across as a sort of disoriented old man at times.
1: Yeah, and he's not such a distinct character in a way.
0: No, he's... Like he's, he has this sort of connotation with Obama, but he's always been in his sort of shadow. Mm. He's run for president twice before and he's Mm. never gotten any delegates. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: So he, I don't know. It's like, is that the best the Democratic Party can do?
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, whatever to avoid the horrible socialist workers reform by Bernie Sanders.
0: Yeah. Which just comes across as incredibly absurd to us living in a social democracy that Mm. works. His positions are seen as being on the fringe left. Yeah. When really he's just propagating values that are incredibly basic in most Western societies.
1: Yeah, I mean, and common in America as well, a lot of those uh, principles of... Well, uh, used
0: to be more common earlier. Yeah. Like uh, in the aftermath of world war ii there Mm. was a lot of social programs and um, and strong uh, unions yeah fdr uh especially brought about a lot of those sort of things they take for granted now in the u.s i've also been sort of reading and and uh, listening to a lot of noam chomsky yeah he's interesting and he has a lot of incredibly uh (laughs) i don't know interesting takes Mm. on the american political situation uh of course he views himself as a sort of an anarchist yeah Which also is an incredibly sort of misunderstood term, uh, especially in in American politics.
1: Well, it's the historical anarchists. And then there's the term anarchist. They're kind of a bit different.
0: Yeah, the way Noam Chomsky uses it anyway is sort of um, that any sort of institutional power has to be able to justify itself. Mm. Otherwise, it shouldn't exist, right?
1: Yeah, it should be transparent and, you know, controlled by the
0: public more or less. Yeah, yeah. Of course those are incredibly fringe ideals in a sort of American politics mm-hmm. situation but the way he talks about sort of the uh, sort of how republican power and neoliberal power in in America sort of has to use a different form of language when talking about because the real the real goals of neoliberalism and republicanism in mm-hmm. America isn't sort of what they explicitly stated to be in politics because it's all about money, right, and power. But you can't sell that on a political stage. Mm. So they sort of throw out these sort of uh, red meat phrases like uh, the right to, uh, not, well, not the right to choose, but like um, gun rights and they're coming to take away your guns mm. and um, and they want to kill babies and like, they, like all these sort of primal, often um, very religious sentiments. Mm which are used in an election context to gain votes but mm. in reality it's not really about that mm. it's about maintaining power maintaining money flow right yeah, it's about an economic elite that it's wants re- to it's real politics it's interesting and incredibly depressing at the same time. Mm. And uh, while I'm binging these political, you know, podcasts and shows and reading articles and all this stuff, it's at the same time to me, like incredibly entertaining <laughs> just because of the complexities and uh, the players involved mm. and the sort of drama and theater overall of mm. it all. But at the same time, it's just, it's sad to see such, uh, I don't know, like as a political system, it seems both outdated and sort of labyrinthine and difficult to understand by design. And like, mm. yeah, it's, um, yeah, it's depressing mm. ultimately. Like lately I've just been sort of trying to cut down on it a bit because yeah. I don't think it's too healthy to get
1: too, <laughs> a bit too, healthy. too yeah.
0: involved with it.
1: I saw there was um,
0: some comments
1: concerning the um, democratic nominees. Yeah. Because, yeah. Uh, Right before Super Tuesdays, Bernie Sanders had done really well. Yeah, yeah. Won most of the stuff. And uh, there was some of these uh, representatives of the Democratic Party saying that, you know, the nominees, they're just nominees. You know, it doesn't really matter. We're the ones who are going to choose. Yeah. Even if he gets the most delegates and whatever, then we yeah, can. talking
0: about super delegates yeah. and the.
1: And they could still just choose, uh, even though he's democratically voted in, they could still just choose what, te- Robert te- or whatever. Te-
0: technically, the Democratic Party chooses yeah. the nominee, mm. even though all these elections and stuff take place, there's mm. also some, some quite undemocratic processes mm. involved and also like disproportionate uh, delegate amounts uh, mm. regarding different regions and stuff. And different rules in different states, and different ways of going about it, and caucuses versus primaries, mm-hmm. etc. It's really complex. It's not meant to be easy. <laughs> no, it's not meant to be easy, and a lot of it is complexity by design. Yeah, yeah. And in most cases, like making it difficult to vote and stuff, yeah. affects disproportionately uh, low income and people, yeah. low income voters, and people who has issues getting to voter locations. Yeah, because they
1: closed a lot of uh, voting sites. Yeah and states, in California
0: yeah. for instance they made it incredibly difficult for um independents to vote in the democratic primaries. Mm. Yeah. So stuff like that. It's um but it's always fascinating theater.
1: Yeah. <laughs> We've had our own stuff recently um you know the increasing uh, privatization of the uh trains. Yeah. train lines now they're, uh, they're getting more and more segmented into different groups and uh the cheap tickets are disappearing. And now several companies, so you have to go through two, or three companies to get from one part of the country to another. It's a fucking another. mess. It used to be one country. Yeah, and it's no, it doesn't really benefit anyone, and they have like.
0: Well, it definitely uh, benefits the shareholders of yeah. these companies.
1: Yeah, and and they have like you know doubled or more the people in um, you know well-paid jobs, like directors for different companies. Yeah, there's so many of them now. <laughs> there's like fifty of them within the rich one rich, get country. richer. Yeah, and.
0: Uh, It's really annoying. Yeah, but it's this sort of wave of neoliberalism in a lot of social democratic nations Mm. that's been going on for the past years. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's generally been going quite well in these countries, Mm. especially like the Nordic countries. And so a lot of these um, social institutions and ideas of solidarity and stuff are just being undermined because people don't really remember stuff being bad anymore yeah, but
1: it's also like the kind of stuff we've been talking about before about yeah, yeah. soft power the kind of influence of the hyper individual that's not really concerned about others than themselves and their close related people yeah um, kind of changes the welfare system
0: yeah it's disheartening it's disheartening that sort of these ideals we i think you and i take for granted are just more and more overlooked.
1: In many ways, they're kind of like, I feel like our greatest export as well. I mean, we have fish, we have oil, but like the idea of a welfare system and how well it works.
0: Yeah, and a functioning social democracy. Yeah.
1: You know, you don't have to be wealthy to get it to go around. It's just about how you organize a society where it's balanced.
0: Yeah. It is how it is. Yeah. We live in the times we do. <laughs> A lot of people just aren't interested in politics and are not interested in history and and the lessons history can teach. So it's also like, as I've been paying attention to the American election cycle, it's interesting to see how a large part of voters aren't interested so much in policy and the platforms. Mm. They're more just interested in this sort of power struggle between the Democrats and Republicans, Mm. the sort of team spirit. And it's, I don't know, it reminds me of like the time in Constantinople where there was like this devolving of, which was a citizenship initiative in politics and stuff. Mm. And everything just centered around this horse racing with uh, like the blue and green teams. And you you were either on team blue or team green. And that was the most important thing.
1: Mm. (laughs) That sounds like today.
0: Yeah. Tribalistic. Yeah, very tribalistic, very black and white. Like you see so many voters just, uh, it's all about beating Trump. Mm. But yeah, that's not really a policy. (laughs) That doesn't really say anything about what you're replacing it with.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you're replacing it with more of the same, basically with a different kind of attitudes.
0: Yeah. I I heard uh, Biden say that nothing essentially will change.
1: Yeah. Uh, That's sort of the uh,
0: the saddest slogan, (laughs) political slogan. Nothing will change.
1: Yeah.
0: Same old. Let's go fight for that ideal, right? Yeah, we'll see. It's going to be interesting come November.
1: Yeah, apparently there's um, a bunch of these theories where you buy like theories from biology, human history, that it's just systems in a way. And that's... Uh, System theory. Inevitably, it kind of has to go towards um, a destructive scenario for it to start to heal. But then that healing kind of overall improves society for the people who survive.
0: Yeah, like, are you talking about like Malthusian cycles and stuff? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I think that stuff's mostly been disproven scientifically, but it's it's an interesting theory mm. that you have this sort of rise and fall you see with like Edward Gibbon and the rise and fall of the Roman Empire, for instance. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the archetype for this idea that societies, you know, in the beginning are more sort of Republican and then they go more monarchical and then they devolve into mm-hmm. chaos and uh, economic despair. I'm not sure... That applies today. Modern society is so complex. Mm. I don't know. It's difficult to wrap your head around what's going on.
1: But it's not difficult to imagine like dominance of Western societies, you know, losing its
0: grip. And... Yeah, yeah, I think we've, we've been seeing that for years years now with the rise of China and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And also sort of America dropping off the international stage in a lot of ways. A lot of uh, working relationships with other Western countries have been damaged to the point where a lot of the Western countries are finding new ways of communicating among among themselves mm. and, and forging new relationships and sort of finding out how how we can go on in a world that's not the same as it used to be mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, a lot of shit going on, which is why it's so nice to just be able to watch a really uncomfortable movie about mm-hmm. society <laughs> really warms the heart that's true no, but sometimes it's just nice to see to watch some comfortable stuff too. Yeah. Do you have any favorite comfortable viewing series uh, well, or movies? Well,
1: currently I'm watching the second season of a series called Wellington Paranormal. And uh, if you've seen uh, what we do in the shadows, yeah, there's these two characters, there like local cops and they're kind of fumbling about, they're not the brightest pair, but they're, they're kind of serious and, you know, more or less dedicated. And uh, Wellington Paranormal is a spin-off series about these two mucking about in Wellington and, you know, kind of solving paranormal situations. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't just have to be vampires, it can be ghosts no, or aliens. That whole
0: universe is just yeah. so delightful. Yeah. <laughs> it's really great. Yeah, it's it's really enjoyable.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's kind of lo-fi. I mean, yeah. they do have some nice effects here and there, but... It's kind of just the focus on this. I really like this kind of New Zealand humour. It's reminiscent of like British humour, except it's, you know, less sharp and sarcastic.
0: It's more self-depreciating almost, sort of uh, making fun of of yourself.
1: You have that in in the English scene as well, but it doesn't have so much of a sharp edge. It's not as angry. It's more mellow. uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's nicer.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like Flight to the Concords is so just mellow yeah Yeah, that would be they have the wit yeah that's the thing they they, have the wit there's a wit but there's sort of a it's almost sort of understated and sort of but often like quirky and surreal Mm. in the way that a lot of british humor can be Mm. i like it a lot
1: yeah Yeah, have you have you seen any of this series
0: no i i just saw the movie what we do in Mm. the shadows but i've been meaning to watch Wellington paranormal
1: yeah they also did the other spin off series which was what we do in the shadows america yeah which was also pretty good yeah good i liked it and uh, i'm eagerly waiting for the uh film or series enough about the werewolves called werewolves <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. we've been
1: talking about for years
0: <laughs> they were great in what we do in the shadows <laughs>
1: they're kind of these alpha alphas <laughs>
0: bumbling idiot alpha yeah. werewolves funny
1: and their kind of techniques
0: for suppressing their
1: anger just breathing and <laughs> yeah. these chants yeah it's really one of the best scenes
0: yeah it's brilliant definitely one of the best parts of uh, what we do in the shadows mm. yeah so it's good to get some more comfortable viewing in every now and again
1: yeah yeah Watch well, all sorts yeah do you have any
0: well stuff? Uh, i if i'm feeling down i really like watching adventure time
1: yeah it's great
0: <laughs> it's just so it's like a lot of like what we just described about well, like New Zealand humor shows. It's mm. very mellow. Mm. It's incredibly absurd at times, but it mm. just has, the writing is actually really nice and mm. the characters are really interesting and it has just this really, just this warmth.
1: Yeah. Cause it somehow, it kind of has villains, but they're also kind of included almost like uh, the Ghibli films. They're kind of like also given their own space. Like yeah, Ice they, King is kind they, of a yeah, nice they have well. their
0: complexities and personalities too and mm. their motives. Um, like, there's almost no real bad villains, mm. you know, except for the, the, what's it called? The Lish? The, yeah. L- yeah.
1: Lish King. Lish, yeah.
0: Um, but it's such a playful universe
1: as well. Yeah, I it's love it. So much
0: joy in it. But it's so creative. Mm. and That's uh, what I love about it. It's so, like, it's just super playful and mm. just... Random, but not in the sort of a uh, random, funny, ha ha, two thousands sort of humor. Mm. It sort of evolved from that. What? Like if you watch the first season, mm-hmm. you can get the impression that it's sort it's sort of a sort of outdated random humor of the Mm. 2000s, but it really evolves quickly beyond that into something that has a lot more to offer.
1: Yeah, the characters really grow, I think, and become very interesting over time. Yeah. The dynamics between the characters.
0: Because it sets the stage in a sort of uh, predictable, yet surreal and and Mm. playful... Candy Kingdom sort of but eventually you learn that it's more and more post apocalyptic <laughs> and that there's been like wars and horrible shit going on and half the earth has been blasted mm. off and stuff. So yeah. As the show moves on, you, you sort of learn more and more about the mm. horrible pasts. Yeah. At the same time yeah. it's these characters are just so caring and interesting and warm and and it's good to rewatch too. Like yeah. it's always funny. I think like,
1: the short episodes.
0: The short episodes, so you so you never get bored. Like
1: one of my favorite characters is actually Ice King. Yeah, and uh, his story of going from being like a, kind of a, a gentle book nerd who's uh, interested in helping people, yeah, to Simon. slowly going yeah Simon, <laughs> to slowly going mad from the power of his uh, ice crown. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it's it's really nice, actually, his backstory yeah. with Marceline and stuff. I think one of my favorites is Magic Man.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> it's just this incredibly, just, he's always so super happy and always out to just trick people. Yeah. He's, just, he's a real jerk, yeah. but he always, like, has these, like, offers to people mm. and it's always a catch and, like, eventually he, too, has, like, a more interesting backstory and stuff. Mm. But um, there's so many absurd characters yeah. that are... Lemon Grab is so good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's
1: uh, voiced by Justin Roiland from uh, Rick and Morty. Yeah, it's just this sour lemon character, and his like narrative trajectory
0: is just so insane. His voice is so horrible. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. But yeah, also his narrative trajectory from being like this one-off lemon character mm. to having a whole lemon kingdom and the sort of dramatic arc there is just yeah. this sour, cannibalistic, yeah. uh, just horrible experimental uh, like every character is sort of a uh, clones of this lemon like everything is yeah it's it's, it's really, really great it's <laughs> a lot of adventure time is so dark and horrible yeah. uh, which is why the veneer of this children's show is so this interesting contrast there
1: and at times they do you know tackle themes or subjects of society
0: like video game addiction and uh
1: you know, it feels like uh, the writers—they've got something they want to deal with.
0: Yeah, you know? they have a, like they have different themes they want to deal with and stuff. Mm. And I think maybe the biggest theme of it all is like growing up. Yeah. As the series went on, uh, the main character Finn sort of he grew with the show. So mm. for every year of the show, he grew one year, and it sort of ends as he is entering adulthood.
1: Mm. Actually, I haven't seen the last season.
0: It was great. It was a good send-off. Yeah. I was sad they didn't get more seasons to sort of flesh out the ending, but it was a really good send-off. And apparently they're making more... They're making movies now or episodes, mm. like six mini-movies. Okay. Or Brilliant. double episodes.
1: I'm sure they're still making money. so They'll be making stuff.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Like, it was one of the most valuable franchises of Cartoon Network, yeah. but they sort of phased it out in favor of more garbage. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure what's popular now. No, I I don't know. Like, it was my impression anyway that Mm. it got canceled uh, in favor of more like uh, superhero stuff, which is not something I'm incredibly interested in. Like, there's not a lot of children's shows I find worth watching. So, (laughs) surprisingly, not surprisingly, not. But that one is great. Another great uh, animated show. Which is uh, made by Adventure Time alumni. I don't remember his name, but um, he worked on Adventure Time. He made his own limit, like mini series called Over the Garden Wall. Oh yeah, and that's also an incredibly delightful and like real comfort viewing. Mm. It has a real like uh, sort of fall Halloween sort of vibe to it. All of it takes place during or around Halloween. And uh, it's also sort of absurd, but it, it deals a lot with, like, death and loss and stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's also just beautifully animated. Like, the color palette is so muted and, like, fall like and...
1: Is it more like a realistic setting, a contemporary setting?
0: No, it's not realistic. It's sort of fantastical. It's, it's like in a in New England setting. Yeah. There's, like, these two young kids, an older brother and a younger brother, and they're walking through these woods trying to get out. And uh, it has sort of a vaguely historical feel to it. Mm. Um, but there's more to it than that. Mm. It's hard to explain, but just great, great watching if you want to watch a quality animated show Yeah, over the wall. I'm a big fan of these. Um,
1: Cotter Network has this uh, alternative channel called Adult Swim. Where they make a lot of animated, not all of them, but a lot of animated shows that are more, you know, absurd and playful and crazy, like Mr. Pickles. And Super Jail and King Star King. Yeah. Uh, and Xavier Renegade Angel. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, that's one of my
0: favourites. Incredibly bizarre.
1: Interesting trend about many of these shows is that they kind of take a familiar character or narrative or setting like Super Jail is kind of like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It's kind of like Willy Wonka, except that it's a prison and the prison warden who's kind of like the Willy Wonka, is absolutely insane. And also it's really violent. And Incredibly and, violent and absurd, yeah. <laughs> and uh, Mr. Pickles is kind of like Lassie, except Lassie is like a Satan's dog on Earth and has uh, hypnotic powers, and he's kind of helping out this family, kind of like a, a really white suburb. And you know, the the family that Mr. Pickle lives with, they're just they're really stupid, and they don't really pick up anything. But the son, who's kind of is disfigured, his, his feet aren't working properly, so has he has these braces. He has his adventures, and then Mr. Pickles helps him with that sort of stuff. On the side, he goes around hypnotizing people and turning them into his sex slaves in his underground lair, (laughs) and it's really kind of humoristic and intense. Uh, And I like that approach that you kind of subvert some of these contemporary stories and apply different uh, interpretations on that kind of There's uh, a
0: lot of uh, creativity in those Adult Swim shows. Mm. It's sort of reminiscent of... um you remember when MTV had animated yeah. shows? Yeah. yeah. It's sort of reminiscent of that yeah. sort of madness and see what the fuck we were able to come up with.
1: It feels like that kind of
0: led into Adult Swim eventually. I'm not yeah. sure if
1: it's the same people, but that kind of impulse. Because so much in terms of animated stuff is just made for kids yeah. in our part of the world, which is just a shame because you can do anything with animation.
0: Well, more and more, I think animation is overcoming that sort of stigma. Mm. With there's been a lot of animated shows recently targeted towards adults, like yeah. BoJack Jack Horseman. And yeah. of course, Reagan Morty is also more adult oriented. And it's and no Fins longer well. just yeah. Simpsons and Family Guy, right?
1: Yeah. You have some of these uh, animated documentaries, like Waltz With Bashir, it's about war and stuff. Uh, war and stuff. And you had Anima which was the Charlie Kaufman stop motion film, which was crowdfunded. So you, you do have some examples, but it's still uh, very easy to just consider animation to be a child's entertainment thing.
0: I think you have to be really uninterested in movies or series to think that. <laughs> I know it's a prevalent uh, sort of a point of view, but you don't have to look far to see that that's just incredibly... Well,
1: maybe not, but you might have to work a bit to find interesting animation that's kind of like emotionally, psychologically or intellectually
0: stimulating. Uh, speaking of sort of um, comfortable viewing, did yeah. you watch *Claws*? Uh, uh,
1: it's a, it? sort of a
0: Christmas uh, animated Netflix movie.
1: Claus. *Claws*. Yeah, as, as in *Santa, Santa Claus*. Yeah, yeah. *Claws*. Yeah, I heard of it.
0: Is it good? Yeah, it was great. Like oh, yeah. the the art direction is really is really exaggerated and cool, and oh, yeah. it's well animated, and, mm-hmm. it, and it also has like this real sense of heart and and place, and these characters are very like. Interesting, but at the same time, it's more, of a, it's more of a children's movie, but it's well worth watching as an adult, too. Like, it's a really good Christmas movie. Okay, okay. Uh, but it's a
1: movie or a series? Or... No, it's a movie. Yeah, yeah,
0: animated movie. Mm. Um, and it's sort of a, a weird take on Christmas.
1: What kind of style is it made
0: in? Well, it's a 2, 2D animation. Mm. Like more, uh, I, I'm not sure if it's digital. I think maybe it's digital, but it, it looks Double. hand-drawn. Like It mm. looks very good. Uh, and it's sort of a an origin story for Santa Claus.
1: All oh, right.
0: <laughs> well, I like the implication of the name Claus. Yeah, because it maybe sort of a horror vibe. Is he? He seems like quite an unpleasant character in the movie. Um, of course, it turns out he's not a really unpleasant character. Either, but. The place, like the city it takes place in is super interesting. This it's, isn't like kind of, I stand
1: alone turns out to be Santa Claus. Or something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, that would be interesting though. But yeah. the, the place, the movie takes place in the, the town is so delightfully like horrible. Mm. It's full of like, it's the, these two warring clans and mm. everybody in town is just dead set on causing trouble for the other clan like mm. it's this team spirit we were talking about earlier yeah. where like you have to be either on the one side or on the other side and everybody's just laying traps for each other constantly okay, okay. And it's just trying to hurt each other it's just funny and the way it's animated it's mm. just really like characteristic and um, exaggerated and mm. just delightful it kind of makes me think about *Not before christmas because there's this
1: confusion where uh, the main character jack thinks that uh, the leader of Christmas land, whose name is Santi Claus, is supposed to have these clawed beast kind of thing.
0: Yeah, it does have a sort of vaguely Tim Burton vibe, but it's Mm -hmm. not as sort of, it's not as gothic. No. But it it does have that sort of playfulness Mm -hmm. and and sort of quality that Tim Burton's best animated stuff does have. I haven't really, like, I've been sort of disappointed in his last, like, the last... I don't know, 15 years of Tim yeah. Burton has not been a, very interesting to me.
1: No, no. I think for me, Beetlejuice is his high water mark. It's so playfully and weird and intense. Like the narrative is just
0: so strange,
1: really. Yeah. It's great. Michael Keaton is fantastic. As yeah, yeah.
0: It, it's a great movie. Uh, and I love, of course, Nightmare Before Christmas yeah. too. And I think my favorite is probably Edward Scissorhands. Mm. Also a delightfully weird movie.
1: Mm.
0: I also liked actually Sleepy Hollow. Yeah. It's not that, I mean, it's been ages since I saw it. Yeah, it's sort of, it's, I wouldn't say it's aged badly, but it's it's a simple movie, really. Yeah. And I like the sort of simpleness of it. Mm. Because, uh, like, a movie like that now would probably be, like, uh, I would like to see Robert Eggers uh, <laughs> and his take on it mm. because of his, like, New England fascination. Mm. But it's so much simpler than that, and it's, like, pure Tim Burton madness. Mm. I, I I love it, like, Christopher Walken as yeah. the headless Hessian night or whatever, oh, it's delightful.
1: It's quite a good-looking movie, I seem to recall.
0: Yeah, but the, like, that's one of Tim Burton's strengths. Like the, the aesthetics of the movie are often very clear, mm. right? And uh, stylized.
1: Mm. Mm. I'm sort of feeling that Wes Anderson took up that sort of mantle with quite stylized, sometimes interesting and absurd movies. And, you know, he also went into stop motion and done that sort of stuff. And I'm kind of worried he might end up similarly being less and less interesting towards the end of his career. Yeah,
0: I love the fantastic Mr. Fox animated movie. Yeah, I thought that was, great. that's probably my favorite movie. Of his. Yeah, um yeah. He's always had this great, great sense of aesthetics. Mm. To me, his movies, like the core of the movies have always felt like not quite... Like, I'm not always sure what he's trying to get at, mm. you know, but it always looks gorgeous. Yeah. So I'm willing to put everything aside just th- to watch it. I think he has
1: this kind of nice vulnerability to a bunch of his characters. They're like damaged puppies or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Royal Tenenbaums has a this family with people who are all messed up a little bit. But
0: still, his films are quite warm. Yeah, they're warm. And they're, yeah. they're sort of funny and quirky. Yeah. And sometimes I get the feeling that it's a bit more style than substance. But... When the style is that good, I'm, I'm willing to. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't see it as a huge drawback, really. it's
1: Yeah, for me, occasionally it draws towards the sentimental, and then yeah. it's a turn-off. I didn't like the, um, the camping one. The, Moon, no. Yeah, something. Moon, well, Moon Kingdom? Moonrise Kingdom. Moonrise Kingdom, yeah. Right. And his second stop-motion film, The Isle of Dogs, yeah. you know, it was so beautifully made, but somehow it didn't quite
0: jive. Yeah, I didn't see Isle of Dogs. Mm. I, I, I mean, you it. should see it because it's, it's so beautiful, really. Yeah. Uh,
1: and there's a lot of good things about it, but as a thing together, it's just not as tight, I think.
0: And he also has like this tendency to use the same actress in all of his movies. Yeah. At times, I find it like a bit predictable.
1: Mm. Yeah, I think that's definitely something you can accuse him of.
0: Yeah, but always, always visually interesting. Mm.
1: Well, it's nice to talk about some comfortable, enjoyable and pleasant <laughs> types of art and entertainment yeah. as well.
0: True. But, we need a uh, bit of that. We need that to sort of counterbalance all the horrible stuff. But um, I don't know I think all, often that sort of comfortable movies aren't, they don't really, they often have very little to say.
1: Yeah, they're just like a good trip.
0: <laughs> yeah. Like a good meal or something. Yeah. Which is important and good, but maybe not as interesting to think about or discuss and stuff. Yeah, but
1: sometimes just feeling good is is enough, you know? Yeah,
0: yeah. Like um, not everything has to be complex and uh difficult <laughs> and needing like hours of discussion to get to the get to the point.
1: You know what I really do now when I wanna feel good? What? I listen to Japanese City Pop, which oh, yeah. is sort of like seventies, eighties, this
0: synth pop yeah, really I, kind of it's great. It's so, so charming.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's really uh, stylish and, and sharp and uh, they use a lot of, you know, American words thrown in. One of the songs, I can't remember what it's called, but he's singing about space scrapers. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It's quite funny as well. What I love about it, that sort of uh, genre and, and time is there's this almost naivete yeah. to, to the, their take on Western music. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah but it's at so the same time
0: up- it's incredibly competently performed yeah. and produced so yeah. it it has this uh, slightly bizarre quality to it mm. but very charming uh you know what i like to do when i just to feel good that i just uh i just shoot off some heroin
1: that sounds <laughs>
0: wonderful that sounds amazing yeah that's that's, that's the o- that's the only thing that does it for me yeah you need the good stuff, yeah, the expensive stuff. Just really fucking ride the wave of, of opioids. That's that's what it's all about to me and family.
1: Yeah, I remember being confused as a child between the words heroin and heroine, as in a female hero. Yeah, uh, not understanding uh, which was which in what context.
0: No, do you still struggle with that?
1: It's past, <laughs> but they do sound uh, very similar.
0: Yeah. I had the same thing when I was growing up with the word uh, robot, which is uh, (laughs) like a rowboat. In Norwegian, it sounds very similar to robot, as in like a mechanical creation. And so often when people were talking about boats, I thought they were talking about robots.
1: Uh, Yeah, I also had that one.
0: And I was immensely disappointed
1: yeah. <laughs> when I found out that was not the case. Yeah, you thought they were talking about something cool. Yeah. And they were talking about like, the most boring thing ever. I mean,
0: what's cooler than robots, yeah. really, when you're a kid? Like, that's the coolest shit ever. Yeah. A fucking boat is not really as cool. So. No. Childhood is full of disappointments. That's what growing up is all about. Yeah. But yeah, I think yeah, maybe that's it for today. And we can leave it at that. And we'll see you in the next episode. If you want to get in touch, you can send an email at unpleasantmovies
1: at protonmail.com. The music for this episode was made by Umulium, that's Spider Orgord and Yu Scarning. And um, that's all for now. So till next time.
0: Have a pleasant life. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.